Alleluia! Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. The hymn that we just sang is about the presence of Jesus, which we need in our lives at all times. Every passing second. The first stanza. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. In other words, it's getting dark out there, Lord, and I need you to stick with me. Please hold my hand and walk with me through all the troubles of this life. You're the only one who can help me, so I need you near every second. The third stanza, I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. And that part comes right out with it, doesn't it? If you don't stay with me, Jesus, the devil is going to get me. If you do not lavish your grace upon me, then I will definitely fall into sin and despair. I've got no shot. Fourth stanza, and then we'll move on. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. It's as if to say, I'm not afraid of anything with you at my side. Not hardship, not pain, not sorrow, and certainly not even death. Because you, Jesus, are the resurrection and the life. You are the risen Christ who has come to bring an end to death. And if I have your presence, death need not trouble me at all. You see, it's the presence of Christ that produces this unshakable confidence, this unwavering hope. If Jesus should go away or if he should leave us, then we may as well pack it in because we're toast. We're mincemeat. Without the presence of Jesus in the Christian life, it's open season for the sinful flesh, for our enemies in the world, and for the devil. So it follows, of course, that we want Jesus with us at all times. Stay with us, Lord. Abide with us. But how can we know that Jesus is near if we cannot see him? It's an important question. In today's gospel lesson, like our hymn, we also hear about the presence of Jesus. In this account in Luke's gospel, the risen Lord appears not to the women, not to the twelve, not to Peter, but to two of the other group, the, the, the broader group of disciples, those guys that were kind of on the fringes. They, were, they, they followed Jesus, but they were less prominent in Scripture. So you could say that Jesus didn't appear to the super special elite, but that he appeared to regular Christians like you and me. And he took them on a journey that taught them much about what it means to follow Jesus as their resurrected Lord, just as it has much to teach us today about our discipleship and about his presence in our lives. 
So we'll take this journey with him today, and we're going to do it in two parts. First, we're going to have a Bible study with Jesus, and then second, we're going to have a meal with Jesus. First, let's see why Jesus felt that a Bible study was warranted with these guys. They were traveling seven miles to Emmaus from Jerusalem on Easter day, and they were talking together about everything that had transpired. The crucifixion, the news of the empty tomb from the women. Surely that's what you would be talking about as well if you had experienced the same things. And this has got to be the best part of Jesus' resurrection. His taking up the full use of the divine attributes that he divested himself of, that he did not fully use during his state of humiliation. we got to be careful with that teaching right there. But basically, whenever Jesus became man and he took on flesh, he did not cease to be God, fully God. But he did not avail himself of the full use of the deity during his earthly ministry. And so now here at the resurrection, he actually takes up again what he had set aside temporarily for our salvation. The full use of his divine prerogatives and rights to exercise for our salvation. So now, in other words, that's a fancy way of saying that Jesus now gets to have fun. He gets to have fun with this. We saw in his appearance to the women at the tomb on Easter in his appearance to the ten in the locked room, and eventually Thomas, who would later join them the following week, right? He comes to them to speak peace. He gets to show up to his people and bring them the comfort of the resurrection and eternal life, along with the promise of his presence. So he asks these guys, what are you talking about? I love that Jesus is eavesdropping there. What are you talking about? And they told him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? This is so great. They're talking to Jesus as if he's a complete ignoramus. And the irony is that he's standing there talking to them and they are completely ignorant to the fact that it's Jesus standing there in the resurrected body, in his flesh Now, they're unable to recognize him, likely for several reasons. We're going to explore one uh, in particular in just a moment. But they told Jesus what had happened and how they had hoped that he would restore the Davidic dynasty in the way that most Israel was expecting and how it hadn't panned out that way because Jesus had been crucified. And there was now talk from the women of how his body wasn't in the tomb anymore for some reason. And Jesus responded with a reprimand. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then the scripture notes that he did a Bible study with them, showing them how all of the Old Testament points to him. Why did Jesus reprimand them so harshly? Because they failed to see the scriptures rightly. They failed to understand that they were about the redemption of the whole world through Christ, the Messiah who would come to die and rise again. We too need that reprimand whenever we fail to keep Christ at the center of the biblical narrative. 
Every piece of Scripture is connected to Christ, His person and His work in some way. What He has done to redeem us. So if you just threw random Scriptures at me, I don't know if I'd be any good at it, but you could throw random Scriptures and somehow, some way, we could find a connection to Jesus. Don't quiz me right now. Maybe after church. But that's the principle. Everything, whether it's the wisdom in the, in the Proverbs or in the wisdom literature and the Psalms, all of it, it's about Christ. And that's why we have Bible studies. So that you can learn how all of Scripture connects to Christ and what He has done for us and what He has brought us into. It's, it's why you have a preacher so that the Scriptures will be open to you and that you will hear them taught and proclaimed with Christ at the center. And as we attend to the Lord's Word faithfully, both in Bible studies and in the Lord's preaching, because it's His preaching, it's not mine, it is the Lord Himself who teaches us just as He taught these guys on the way to Emmaus. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is running the show. Jesus is the one doing the teaching. Now it gets very interesting because after their Bible study with Jesus, they still did not recognize Him. It's only when they were privileged to have a meal with Jesus that they got their aha moment. So we move forward to the meal. When they got to the village, the, the village, they invited Jesus. And remember, they still didn't know it was him. They invited him to stay because the night was approaching. And they went in and they sat down at the table. And he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. You got some alarm bells going off? What does that sound like to you? Sounds like the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? Sounds like those same words that you hear every single Sunday. And it, Scripture does this intentionally. But this is not the Lord's Supper that they're celebrating here. Um, this is more akin to, to Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves and some fish. This is more akin to those regular meals that Jesus had in the life of his disciples. Um, in other words... While this was not the Lord's Supper, we can tell that there's definitely a connection here, at the very least. It uses those, the, the same words that is used in the words of institution. There's a connection there. And how is it connected? Well, something happened in that meal. And Luke's Gospel tells us about it. It's very profound. It says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, up until then, they didn't know that they were conversing with the resurrected Christ himself. They heard him teach. They walked several miles with him. They sat at table with him. With him. But it wasn't until he broke the bread and he served them that their eyes were opened. Now, earlier I said that I would explore one reason why they weren't able to recognize Jesus. And here it is. Why weren't they able to recognize Jesus? Jesus wanted to be found here in the breaking of bread, not to the exclusion of the Scriptures, but as a complement to the Scriptures. They go hand in hand. The Word and the sacraments. 
Now they had Jesus' Word through the Scripture. Now they had His regular meal. You heard it in the first reading this morning as the apostles were talking about baptism. These are central to the life of the church. The Word and the sacraments, and that's where Jesus wants to be found. We cannot diminish either one of those. We cannot diminish the importance of the Word. We cannot diminish the importance of the sacraments. Not to pick fights or anything like that, but the Holy Roman Church diminishes the centrality of the Word. The rest of Protestantism diminishes the centrality of the sacraments. We cannot do either. When either is missing, the church suffers because the presence of Christ is obscured. It's hidden. But he's revealed to us in the word and in the breaking of the bread. And here was Jesus' final lesson to these two men to cap everything off, everything that he was teaching them that day. After he revealed himself in the breaking of the bread, the text says that he vanished from their sight. What an interesting way to handle this situation. What in the world? Why would he do that at that particular moment? Why would he just disappear like that? Again, I think think you see Jesus here having too much fun with this. But here's what he was teaching. These disciples were no longer to depend upon his local presence. That mode of presence where they could see and touch Jesus physically. That's not what they were going to depend on anymore. Now, they were going to depend on his presence where he had promised it. In the word and in the sacraments. After he gave them the word by opening the scriptures to them, after he had table fellowship with them in the meal, they had all that they needed to know that Jesus was near and that they had his presence among them along with the promise of the resurrection and eternal life. They had what they needed for the life of the resurrection that has begun here and now through the ministry of the word and sacraments. They had the risen Christ through those things. So just as we are reprimanded for not keeping Christ at the center of Scripture, we are reprimanded as well when we chase after Jesus' presence in places that he has not promised to be. For example, how often do we base our understanding of the presence of Christ in our lives on our own instable, subjective feelings? Hmm? If we feel a certain way, we think that that means that Christ is near. And if we don't have that feeling for some reason, we think that he's far away. But what if that feeling that you're having is just a funky burrito that you ate that morning? What if I told you that that feeling that you have about whether Christ is present doesn't really matter at all? What if I told you that it doesn't dictate whether he promises to be present? Your feelings will ebb and flow. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have feelings. You should. But that's not what you base this on. You'll feel one way one second, and you'll feel the complete opposite the next. 
You don't need to be burdened by that. You don't need to be burdened by whether or not Jesus is near based on how you feel about the situation. I've got way better news for you. You don't base your understanding of this on what you feel and see. You have certainty. You have his promise. He has promised it, so you believe it. Pastor Heckman at St. Paul, the Grove, recently shared this Easter meme with me. He sent me an Easter meme. And it shows this empty tomb at the top. And it says, it quotes the verse, it says, He is not here. Right? He's not in the empty tomb. And then below that, it has a picture of a baptismal font of an open Bible and of bread and wine. And it says, but he is here. He is not here, but he is here. And I would add that the only thing that would make that complete is that if you had the mouth of a preacher as well, because he's there in the spoken word as well. But no meme is perfect, all right? We'll, we'll cut him some slack. But it's a good meme. He has promised to be near you. He has promised to be with you, to give you the forgiveness of your sins, the resurrected life and eternal salvation that he has won for you in his cross and resurrection through these ordinary means, the word and the sacraments. It's why you're here today. Gathered with fellow disciples of the risen Lord to have him open the scriptures to us, to have him make himself known to us in the breaking of the bread. My concern for you is not whether you leave this place today with a certain feeling. My concern is that you leave this place with a certain knowing. You know that Christ is here, and he's here for you, or he's promised to be. And when you leave this place, will Jesus leave you too? Never, never, never. He has promised it in his word. You've been given his spirit. You've been baptized into Christ. He stays with you always. I close today with this, with a, this prayer from the service of Compline. Compline is a prayer service that is used in our church and many others right before bed. And we pray this service in my home every Saturday night. If you'd like to come check that out, come to my house on Saturday night. But here is one of the prayers. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair, the night when death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful, now and forever. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.